0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we've gotten a lot of requests for some Australian history, specifically the Burke and Wills expedition. I got emails from Sean in Liverpool and also Matt in Western Australia. And that might make a little more sense to you when you hear this quote from a writer named Sarah Murgatroyd, who wrote a book called The Dig Tree about the expedition. And she said, the history of Australian exploration is littered with the corpses of men who underestimated the power, the size and the unpredictability of the outback. And the Victorian Exploring Expedition, which was the original name of the expedition, aimed to cross Australia from south to north and back again.
0: So no one really knew what was in the interior of the Australian continent. In the early 1800s, people even thought that there might be an inland sea. They had explored the coastline, but they just didn't know what was in the middle. Two-thirds of the continent was unexplored. And the big question everybody was asking was, what was in the ghastly blank?"
1: So the Victorian exploring expedition left to much fanfare and cheering crowds, but only one man made the trip and survived, and he wasn't Burke or Wills. So with that note of doom struck, let us continue.
0: So exploring the ghastly blank seems like reason enough to go into the outback, but the Royal Society of Victoria had a few other good reasons for doing so.
1: Like discovering new grazing land, maybe finding more gold and some minerals, uh, controlling a telegraph line that would link Australia to Asia, finding Ludwig Leichhardt, a different explorer who completely disappeared <laughs> in 1848. And they also had the unstated goal of beating John McDowell Stewart of South Australia, who was trying to do the same thing.
0: The expedition was going to be big and it was going to cost a lot of money. So it took a while to raise the money necessary to launch it. And some of the funds came from private sources as well as government sources. And a lot of a lot of the reason why it was so expensive is because they planned on importing 24 camels to make the trip with because Camels go in the outback? And I'm not sure about outback. that. <laughs> so from the
1: very beginning of this expedition, retrospectively, you can see it's off to an odd start, even in the planning stages. We're spending massive amounts of money for things like camels. We don't even know how camels will fare in the outback because they've only really been there in exhibitions. So why are we fixated on this idea? I can't tell you.
0: Yeah, it just lines up with the idea of what an explorer ought to be. It reminded us both kind of of Lawrence of Arabia. Right. And you're launching this mission that seems like it's got everything covered and everything is how it ought to be. But really, they just don't know what they're getting into at all. And they're horribly unprepared.
1: But at the time, of course, no one knows this, and they're all just very excited about the whole thing. So on August 20th of 1860, the expedition left from Melbourne. 15,000 people showed up to watch them go, and almost immediately things go awry. A camel breaks loose and a wagon breaks, literally almost as they start, and then two more break down within the next couple of miles. So inauspicious
0: Definitely. beginnings, let's say. So in charge of the party is Robert O'Hara Burke, who's a 33-year-old Irish ex-police officer. And he has no surveying, exploring, or navigation experience. He's been voted to lead the expedition because of political infighting among the society. He's the acceptable candidate to everyone. George Landells is his second-in-command, and he's the guy who brings all the camels from Karachi, so there you go. William John Wills is a 25-year-old English surveyor, and he's third in command. There are 19 people all together starting out. And the Victorians have 20
1: tons of stuff, which is a lot of stuff for such a long journey over uncharted terrain. And some of it just looks very strange when you're looking through the list. Some make sense. They've got a 1,000 pounds of meat biscuits, a 1,000 pounds of oatmeal for the camels, 18,000 pounds of hay. But they've also got listed... 60 gallons of rum for the camels and 40 pounds of pepper also for the camels. And supposedly they thought the rum would keep the camels from getting scurvy and the pepper would help wake them up if they got tired. This, of course, is based on absolutely no science whatsoever, but... You know, it goes just goes along with that whole bumbling expedition thing. Well,
0: yeah, and on, the, on a side note about scurvy, they actually get rid of all their lime juice pretty early on when things are going bad, something that would be excellent <laughs> at preventing scurvy.
1: So the camels are protected from scurvy with pretend remedies, while actual remedies for the human beings are left behind. So we have so typical.
0: just this gross ignorance compounded by mismanagement. Right. And they
1: find out as they're going along, there are other things they didn't know, like, it's not easy for camels to walk in mud. And then conversely, it's not easy for wagons and horses to make it through sand and scrub. So they start shedding things like the lime lime juice juice and sugar and other things they actually need because they are going so incredibly slowly.
0: And Burke is being very fickle. He's hiring people and firing them. And he especially doesn't like the two German scientists who are on the trip and tells them that they need to put down their instruments and their notebooks and stop doing their experiments and become camel hands because they really need help reining in these rather out-of-control camels. And Burke is difficult to deal with. And his second-in-command and one of the scientists quickly resign. Which Sarah said she also would have done had she been on this expedition. I, I would have been somebody out who was even before Menindee.
1: <laughs> but there's a guy who offers to take their stuff up the Darling for a fee. So think about that. They could be carrying all this tons of stuff up the river and instead just making it across basically on foot with some camels and some horses. But because this guy had opposed Burke leading the expedition in the first place, Burke won't do it. In that contentious election. Oh, no, we're not going to swallow our pride. Instead, we're just going to keep hiring expensive wagons and carrying this stuff over this ridiculous terrain for months and months.
0: And it's taking way too long. And Burke is even getting frightened at this point that Stuart will beat him to the north, at which point this is a useless expedition. So he splits his party at Menindi,
1: which is basically the edge of civilization. That's where I'd cut out. Yes. Sarah's gone <laughs> at this point. And this is against his orders. He was supposed to take the entire party up with him, at least to Cooper's Creek. But he heads north with the fittest men. And for their guy, they have a local guy named William Wright. And when they reach Torawada Swamp, Burke sends Wright back to Menindi, And Wright's mission is to go back there and then come back and meet him at Cooper's
0: Creek with the rest of the men and the supplies. So everyone's going to be united at the end at Cooper's Creek, or so Burke hopes. So meanwhile, Burke is pressing on towards Cooper's Creek from the swamp, and he gets tired of waiting for Wright. And, you know, he waits there and waits there and waits there for Wright to catch up with the rest of the men and some of the supplies, and finally decides that he's going to go break his party yet again and take a smaller group Uh, composed of himself, Wills, John King, and Charles Gray. And they put William Brahe in charge of the group they're leaving behind at Cooper's Creek and tell them to wait for them for three months for their return. So Burke's
1: group, after two months, hits the mangrove swamps near the Gulf of Carpentaria on February 11th, 1861, which makes them the first white men to cross the continent. But it must have been disappointing not even being able to get to the Gulf. The mangrove swamps were too hard to get to, so they didn't even get, you know, that view of the sea and thinking, oh, we've made it all across. And there are other things that aren't going well, like they've used two thirds of their rations and the wet season is upon them, which means flooding and
0: mosquitoes. Despite not quite reaching the water though, it counts. It's good enough. They've met their goal and they begin their trip back south. They're met with rain, rain, and more rain and it's turning the ground into a giant bog the summer, so it is incredibly hot. And as we mentioned earlier, their supplies are running low. And they start trying to eat off the land and watching the Aborigines. So they they eat mussels, which doesn't sound bad. But they also kill an eight foot long snake and eat that, which doesn't sit well with them. Bert gets dysentery. And uh, moving on to more domestic fare, probably deciding the snake doesn't make for a very good dinner, they kill and eat some of their camels and a horse. Their stuff is too heavy, so they bury their equipment and instruments. I don't know why they thought they would be coming back to this spot eventually, but who knows? It seemed like the
1: thing to do. On this trip back, Wills catches Gray stealing flour from the rations, which, of course, isn't something they can spare. Gray says that he's sick and he's weak, but Burke thinks he's just shamming and beats him. And there's some historical debate over what kind of a beating this was, if it was just, say, a smack or if it was something more serious. But it appeared that Gray wasn't shamming about feeling weak because he dies within a few days. And the other men aren't feeling so great either.
0: Yeah, they finally make it to Cooper's Creek, though, on April 21st, 1861. This is just Burke, Wills, and King at this point. And the base party's not there. They'd waited for the three months that Burke asked them to. They'd even waited longer than that, nearly five months. And they had just left that morning, which is so sad and frustrating. So close. Even, even all this time after. But they've left supplies and they've buried them and they've noted them with blazes. So there's a little help on the way it seems.
1: And Burke knows that they're close, but the men are simply too weak to try to follow the party that night. So, in the meantime, let's go back to our group at
0: Cooper's Creek. So, things haven't been that great for the guys who have been left behind at Cooper's Creek. The Aborigines have been stealing some of their supplies. The people who were supposed to come up from Menindee with Wright, the the backup supplies, never showed up. And the men are sick, one has scurvy and a leg injury, two are diseased, and they've given up on Burke. You know, they must just think at this point that the party of four is out out there somewhere dead. Maybe they made it, maybe they didn't, but they're not coming back to Cooper's Creek.
1: So they decide to leave in April, but on their trip out, they come across tracks from Wright and the people coming up from Menindi bringing them supplies. And Wright had had his own difficulties. He'd run out of money. Their meat had gone rancid. Their water pools had dried up. He didn't have a surveyor, so he was just following Burke's, you know,
0: three-month-old tracks. Yeah, they're also attacked all the time by rats, which so gross. Long-haired rats too, which <laughs> makes it so much worse for some reason. And they're bothered by the aborigines, and you can get a sense of what state. They were in while <laughs> they're making this track by their camp names Desolation Point, Mud Plain, Rat Point. So it's hot. They don't have good food. They don't have good water. Three of the men died, including Dr. Ludwig Becker, and they're not doing well. But Wright and
1: Brahe, despite being plagued by problems, have now met up. So we've got our two left-behind parties who have now become one group. Our Menindee guys and our Cooper's Creek guys. And they go back to the dig tree, which was that base camp on Cooper's Creek, on May 8th. But they don't see any signs of Burke. He hasn't changed the blaze or left them a note or anything. So they assume that no one's been there. Yeah. And they leave again. And on the way, another man dies.
0: So back to Burke. They decide not to follow Brahe. Instead, they're going to head toward Mount Hopeless, which sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) It doesn't sound good at all. It is, however, a police outpost, and an explorer, A.C. Gregory, had made the trip just a few years before and said it only took him about a week, so maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. But unfortunately, our party of three has a hard time navigating and can't seem to find Mount Hopeless.
1: And while they're along the creek, their two remaining camels die. So they eat the meat, but now they have no way to carry water. And they're in a place where they don't know where there's any more water to be found anyways. So they're stuck here on
0: Cooper's Creek. They do get some food from the Aborigines, fish and Nardu cakes. And Nardu cakes are made from the nardu plant, which is kind of like a four-leaf clover. And it's actually made from the spores, which are ground right. and cooked, which is an important note, and then made into a cake. Eventually, the men get their own nardu seeds, and they figure, oh, well, we know how to make nardu cakes, Aren't too. are we smart? <laughs> and they just grind it up and, and fashion it into raw cakes, which is a... problem. This will be important
1: later. But in the meantime, it's getting cold. They're in rags. Wills at some point goes back to the dig tree to leave his journals and a note. He's still writing letters at this point to his people back home. And time to be sad. Brahe and Wright had, of course, been back to the dig tree. But since they haven't seen any signs of the men, they didn't leave any signs either. So Will goes back and he doesn't know anyone's ever been. So the lesson of the story is always leave a note for you Arrested
0: Development fans. <laughs> so speaking of blazes, <laughs> we have one too many at camp. Burke accidentally sets fire to all of their stuff. Seriously, does this trip get any worse? Oh, it does. It does. Apparently <laughs> does.
1: The men are getting weaker and weaker. They're living exclusively off Nardu, but it just seems to make them feel worse. They're emaciated. They have very low pulses. So Burke and King decide to go off and try to find
0: some Aborigines for help, leaving Wills behind. But Burke too weakens on this trip and can't go any further. And he and King sit down, eat more Nardu, shoot and eat a crow. And by the next morning, Burke can't even get up. And he asked King to leave his pistol in his hand and not bother burying him, I guess hoping to conserve King's own energy.
1: King goes back to find Wills, but Wills is dead. He'd written a letter to his father that ended, I think to live about four or five days. Spirits are excellent, which just broke Sarah's and my heart. The Aborigines had taken some of his clothes from his dead body and they'd covered him with some boughs. So King buries Wills and then he goes looking for the Yandruwanda people who had helped them before.
0: He realizes getting Aboriginal help is is his only option.
1: (laughs) But back home, several relief parties have been put together and sent to different parts of Australia because by this time they should have been back. They should have heard something from them. And on September fifteenth, 1861, a surveyor in one party at Cooper's Creek sees aborigines yelling and waving and making signs at him, so he goes to them and sees a figure in rags. And he wrote, Before I could pull up, I passed it, and as I passed, it tottered, threw up its hands in an attitude of prayer, and fell on the sand. When I turned back, the figure had partly risen. Hastily dismounting, I was soon beside it, excitedly asking, Who in the name of wonder are you?
0: Guess who it was? It was King. He survived thanks to the Wanda, who had taken care of him. He had managed to find them, and they kept him alive. Um, and so now the party united. They go to recover the bodies of Wills and Burke. And they find Wills. Most of his skull is missing, but he's buried in a Bible verse is read. Burke has missing hands and feet, which is... But his gun still is advanced. still there, his which gun was gun in is his there. hand. Um, he's buried in a Union Jack, and people are obsessed with this story. John King is so harassed by women on his way back to Melbourne that they actually have to lock him in his bedroom. It becomes a sensational story. Right. The
1: more the details leak to the media and then filter out to the press, the more interested people get. The bodies of Burke and Wills—they actually insisted on bringing back to Melbourne for a state funeral. Statues of them were built, and they were heroes. A hundred thousand people came to see the remains at the Royal Society headquarters. And, you know, if you were just important enough, they might let you even touch the bones.
0: And it's interesting that the perspective at that time was that. These men were heroes, and it was a story of daring. But it changed over time, and it became more what it really was, which was just a disastrous trip. And um, Burke and the the rest of the party just didn't understand the Outback or the Aborigines or how to survive there. Right. The blame
1: game has never quite ended with that. Some people blame Burke because of his arrogance and just... It's complete lack of knowledge about anything he was doing. The Royal Commission blamed people like Wright, who they said was just sitting around with his feet up, not doing anything. Yeah, why did it take him so long to... Leave Menendee. Right. And the writer we'd mentioned earlier, Sarah Murgatroyd, says we should actually blame the Royal Society, who had an evil sort of plot to take over a large piece of what is now Queensland.
0: But we have a little mystery tied up in this story, and that is, how did they die? And people thought for a long time that it was starvation and exhaustion, but it seems that it was actually Berry beri or the lack of vitamin B.
1: And the main culprit here would be that nardu that we kept mentioning that looks you know, like a four-leaf clover. It looks so sweet, but it's full of thiaminase, which breaks down vitamin B in your body. It's a toxin, and when you cook it, it gets rid of the toxin. Like but the if, Aborigines right? So. But if you eat it raw, like Burke and Wills decided they were so much smarter than the Aborigines – The toxin is still there, and it robs your body of that desperately needed thiamine. The flower that Gray stole actually has lots of vitamin B in it, so perhaps his body was telling him what he needed. And they actually may have been suffering from beriberi long before they even started eating the nardu because of those freshwater mussels, which can also have the same
0: toxin in them. So we're left with a question with this disastrous mission. Did anything good come out of it? And a little bit did. The German scientists Ludwig Becker and Hermann Beckler actually did some pretty awesome research on the trip, even though Burke wouldn't let them do much and would rather them work as camel hands. um, Beckler gathered hundreds of specimens of plants and birds, and Becker made lots of drawings and paintings. Even when he was dying, he drew the long-haired rat that was eating his feet. I cannot get over oh, this gosh. detail. I probably never will. Too horrible.
1: But the relief parties that were sent out actually explored a lot of new area in Australia, much more than the actual expedition. And because of what they learned, it opened up huge pieces of land for grazing, and they also brought back a lot of Aboriginal stuff.
0: This kind of reminded me of the podcast we did on Franklin, in Franklin and yeah. the Northwest Passage trip, because you have the first rounds of explorers being lost, and then it's the follow-up guys, the search parties, who actually end up charting a lot of territory and learning a lot. And it's funny,
1: because if Burke and Wills had survived, they probably would have gotten some of the blame for things going horribly wrong. But since they died, they got that romanticized sort of gloss and became these legendary figures that people are just fascinated with, at a November 2005 auction, Burke's Leather Water Bottle went for $286,750 for a water bottle. That's completely insane. Yeah, they were immortalized
0: by this failed mission.
1: And before we sign off, we have one more little mystery for you. During one of the relief party excursions, a guy named John McKinley found a white man's grave at a place called Lake Massacre. He thought it was gray... But it wasn't. And no one to this day knows whose body it is or where Graves is buried. But that, you know, brings us to one of our favorite themes,
0: which of course is exhumation. Yeah, we had to mention that one. So the consequences of this are the opening of the Outback. We've talked about the death of a few explorers here, but we also have to consider the untold side of it, which is the story of the Aborigines. And by opening up all this vast, unexplored area of Australia, it, it's the beginning of the exploitation of the Aborigines.
1: So if you want to hear more about the Aborigines side of the story, go to our homepage and search for the Stolen Generation at www.HowStuffWorks.com